Yeah. Man, I wish we were already like, say, 20 minutes into the podcast because that would have been a perfect segue into Mr. Miracle. I got to pee. The, the curtain. Oh, that curtain From the thing Leonardo was good. Adding, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, I like that joke a lot. So yeah. bring that back in about 20 minutes. <laughs> After your pee. After you throw a pee. Oh, <laughs> oh piss. Yeah, but pretty quick, too. Well, I'm quick. I'm a, I'm a quick pisser. I like that about you. I like that about you. QP. You're a quick que- pisser. You're a quee pee. A quaypo. A quaypo. A quaypo. <laughs> Acceptable podcast from the Conflicts Place in Bellingham, Washington, episode 86, where every Tuesday we go pick up all of the week's books and sort them and count them and love them and look at them and take them home excitedly and read as many as we possibly can Smell them. in the just tiny amount of time that exists between that check-in and this podcast. Taste them. Taste them. Jen is always licking them, and we have to have a whole damaged pile of licked books. And you can tell immediately what a licked <laughs> book is because it's got a big old sloppy ink smear up the cover. We put an LB on the price tag. Licked book. Man, it's different than my my thumbprint fingerprint smear. It's it's a much wider, wetter smear. It's worth mentioning that like the 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 fingerprint smear also happens to me. So like I have to Does strategically it? how to hold comics or prop them up against my knees so that I'm not I, I leaking. Have, I have to make sure there's a big uh, board. And my gloves. I thought he was joking about this when I first met him. Oh, no. He's made out of acid. Well, yeah, he's yeah. made out of acid. Like that character That's in... That's why his pupils in, are always so huge. Yeah, in X-Force, the one that like <laughs> secreted acid and spit acid. You know how you know when the acid's starting to take hold? When your knees feel like glowing orbs of light. Hmm. That's how I always know. I'm Jeff, and right now I can feel <laughs> the cusps of my knees d- just sort of diminishing into the light spectrum. Wow. I'm Django. I'm Django. I'm Django. (laughs) (laughs) That's weird, because I'm I'm also Django. You are not. You're the guy who said secreted for the first time ever on the podcast. Secreted. I've been waiting. (laughs) Secreted? I can't feel my knees secreting at all. When did you say that? Uh, When he was talking about his fingers, his weird secreting fingers. My my acid, yeah. My secretions. My... Ew! God! Ew! You're so slug-like in everything that you do. <laughs> Welcome to the Perfectly Acceptable Secretion Podcast. Ew. Uh, we're going to so- spoil some books, and yeah. not just with our fingers and tongues. No, or our, yeah, our so- soilables, soilets, fluid. Did you just say soilets? Fluid. Soilets. Fluid. Moist. Uh, Squat. Um, this week, Brayden is down south, tending to the coca leaves. Yeah, uh, he bought a cocaine plantation. Uh, 42 acres. Yeah, the war on drugs is way more thinly veiled than you would think. He, <laughs> Craig's listed an entire cocaine uh, plantation. Apparently, you gotta go, you gotta find it. There are people guarding the doors, but he, mm-hmm. walked, he got a new haircut for it and everything. Went down south, hid behind a bunch of big old leaves. He's got Nancy Reagan's bones in a bowling ball, I heard. Yeah. It's like Mystery Men. 
from the guy, the lady who has a bowling ball with her dad's skull in it, but he's just packing Nancy Reagan around. So anyway, Brayden, we'll see you soon. Um, gosh, Miss bring some of that sweet, sweet coca home. It. We talk a lot about drugs on this podcast lately. Yeah, drug cast. Yeah. Yeah, well, here's what we really are. Man. It's three weeks. <laughs> it's three weeks till the wedding. Have you gotten mm. your formal wear yet? Wait, who's getting married? Uh, <laughs> Roman. <laughs> ha. Are you getting married? No, Kitty Pride and Colossus are getting married. Yeah, oh, man. yeah, that's man. right. Ex-classified, dude. It's popping up. Ex-classified? Uh, so this week, let's talk about the magic order. Oh. Number one. We'll talk about Plastic Man. Number one. A walk through hell. Number two. I bet we'll talk about number one a little bit too. Mm. I mean, also. Uh, In addition to Doctor Star and the Kingdom of Lost Tomorrows. Number four. We'll talk about Shield. Is it just called Shield? Yeah, but it's got all the periods between the letters. S. Period. H. Period. period. I. Period. period e. Period. period. L. Period. period. D. Period. But. Number six. Period zero. And also Mr. Miracle 9, period. Interrobang. Interrobang. That's the name of a podcast. Octothorpe. You guys are both <laughs> saying words I don't know. We're saying punctuation, Jeff. Oh. Yeah. An interrobang is the <laughs> exclamation mark. That's what an exclamation mark is called? Yeah, interrobang. Well, the one that has the... Well, it's oh, the, that's it's the, the upside one down with, one. No, it's the one with the question mark, exclamation mark. You guys didn't see that, but for that radio gold, <laughs> he he drew an intero intero bang. Do you guys know Victor Borga's ver- verbal punctuation? Because that's what I was doing. No. So he's got like a sound for each bit of punctuation. So like a period is, and comma is, exclamation mark is. It's quotes are, or like the end of the quotes is. You just spit. You guys didn't see it, but he just, big l- he just lungered up. Welcome. He lungered up there. Back to secretions. Oh, magic order. I'm going to secrete my love for this book all over yours foreheads. Um, Your this is written by Mark Millar and Olivier Coipel. Um, did anybody do the Facebook thing on the first page? I, no. I don't didn't. have Facebook, but apparently there is like an activate your phone app. I think while I'm talking about this, Django's going to get it open. Yeah, I'm, a t- I'm the tech guy of, yeah. of yeah. the gang. Yeah, Techie. You know, we lost our main tech guy to a coca field again. Oh, yeah. I didn't try it because it, it sounded like too much work. I don't have the FOSS book. Um, so I popped this book open. This is uh, the first one of Mark Millar's books to come out since Netflix has bought... Uh, Miller World. So they're simultaneously developing a Netflix television show of this book while he's writing it, um, which at first was a little bit of a red flag for me, but uh, as soon as I flipped it open, I immediately abandoned that concern because this is some of the nicest art in a comic book I've seen in a while. Olivier Coipel can be pretty all over the board. <laughs> oh, Django got the thing to work. Okay. It made it made a magical hat. Oh, now it's got my face on it. I don't like this at all. It made a magical hat, <laughs> and a bunch of cards came out of the cover. Oh. And then I selected a card, and it switched to look at my face, oh. and I'm done. That was it? It probably, probably does more, but I don't want to 
I don't like looking at my face. I look fat today. You look cute today, Jango. It's because <laughs> you shaved. That's I shaved, and now you can see my jowls. Jango, you have precious jowls. Uh, it's it's AR. It's AR stuff. Through um, Facebook. It's weird. So this AR? guy's art changes drastically when what? different people are coloring it. <clears throat> What, what 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 did he just what did Copel he was the Thor artist right he did a lot of Thor he did Siege, um, oh, right, okay. for Marvel but that was like everything was way glossier looking yeah. and yeah. this has got like a strange grainy quality to it and it's Dave Stewart um, I don't everything has like almost a matte feel while being also glossy I, uh, like Sarah Pacelli esque it's there's really good light sources in this and the art itself kind of reminds me of. A strange mix of uh, Cassidy mm-hmm. and Chris Bacello mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um, Sean Murphy. Okay. Like if you smashed all those yeah, guys yeah. together and gave them a solid colorist. Basically, uh, it's not a totally out there plot. We basically have a family of magicians, um, a father, and he's got three kids, and all of the three kids are sort of left the family or not super part of the family or carrying on the traditions of the family in a classic way and it seems like maybe some other people related to or familiar with the magics are now sort of doing some type of uprising against them. We basically met two factions, uh, a family that I can believe are the good people and a family that are the bad people. Why did I like this so much guys? I don't know why you liked it. It seemed like pretty straight up Mark Miller stuff, and you're not usually a huge Mark Miller guy, right? It's like, I mean, I, I like him, but this is, it's pretty like urban fantasy. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's fantasy, but it's not the fantasy I don't like. It's a little bit of horror. It's a little, it's like a, re, it's like a horror Harry Potter, which I am very, a big fan of Harry Potter as a 28-year-old in 2018. That's just a thing. I think it's got really solid characters. It's got uh, a pretty well-established world. And in the very beginning, this little, like, five-year-old kid gets possessed by a magician and stabs his dad through the face. Mm. Or through the... Up, up, under the... soft of the chin. Like, just uh, jowl adjacent, I would say. You got your head in the jowl still. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, what are we talking about? (laughs) Jowls. (laughs) Going bowling for jowls. Um at the at the end, there's a really cool scene. We're taken to a place uh, with some characters that we don't know or haven't seen, and there's an older male magician with his son, and there's a really sick old woman in the room, and he's making some paste to give her that will cure whatever like parasite, magical parasite, is in her. But as it's happening, the kid is like, "This is weird. Like our carpet is a different color, and why does that picture on the wall keep changing?" And the dude's <laughs> is so awesome. Uh, he it's says, like he knows what's going to happen. Yeah, he says, I'm afraid we've walked into a changing spell. In less than a minute, we won't exist, and someone else will live here convinced they always have. And the way that the art conveys that, like at one point, it's like a computer is printing, and then it just mm-hmm. stops, and all the lines go like flat and straight as the page descends. And then almost like Inception or something, everything kind of breaks down to cubic form and starts reorganizing and rebuilding. And then the final page of this is a couple sitting on a couch in that room with some like really like Bloodborne, Dark Souls looking Victorian Gothic dark magician standing behind them. And it is fucking cool. Yeah. Do you, did you not love it? I liked it a whole lot. No, I, I, I really did. I, uh, 
I guess I just kind of always like Mark Miller. I can't think of a book that he's done that I didn't enjoy reading. Um, and I was a little bit skeptical because it's a Netflix comic. Me too. But it's an image yeah. comic. Yeah. And it's Mark Miller. And like Netflix bought the Millerverse, Miller World. Cool. <laughs> I'll watch the shows. I'll read the comics. I thought this one was really good. I was really surprised that they actually had that kid do the murder in the yeah. beginning. I liked the character who, like, it, it, one of the one of the family members of the people who are probably the good guys in this story is has distanced himself from the family, and his brother's trying to talk to him while he's at the grocery store. And I really like that interaction. It's yeah, it's good. It, it's also good. Had, it didn't blow me away, but it's it's uh, one of, one of my favorite books this week. It had some cool elements of like Jupiter's legacy, which he's been putting out with Frank Quietly. Yeah. Um, I I have no interest in watching the TV show. And as I was reading this, I was like, I don't, I don't want this to be a TV show, and I hope that they don't write this thing to be written that way. But his books always have sort of felt like they are drafts of movies, and I yeah. don't mean that negatively. <clears throat> like he, I, I also pretty much like everything he's done. There are books that he's put out that I didn't finish, like right. Chrononauts and stuff, MPH. But I actually really like everything he's done, and I, I think in the last like five years, he's really become an adult. Starting with like Starlight. Did you read Starlight, Roman? Hmm. I feel like you would really like that's that Flash Gordon book he did. I'll it's like Starlight. old man Flash Gordon goes back to the planet that idolizes him, hmm. but he's old after okay. he's lived this life of having been a hero when he was young and then kind of aging. He like deals with some just really like aging concepts and mm-hmm. family concepts. I liked it, and I'm <clears throat> and I'll watch the TV series just because I'm really curious to see how they portray like this scene where where the at the end where you're talking about where the woman where the room is slowly changing into a different reality um i think this will be cool visuals on the small screen it was a good story i'm i'm leery of uh of uh, of uh, mark millar is it miller or millar it's miller for me it always starts out well and by like issue three or four he does something that I think it's stupid, and then I don't enjoy the rest of the series, which is why I didn't read Starlight, because I got to that point with all of his previous series, and so I didn't give that one a shot. So now I have to read that one, because it's, it's been recommended. I feel like that times. sort of marked the like point in his career where he really started doing more mature yeah. writing. Yeah, so maybe I just jumped off at the wrong point, because um, I did enjoy this. I really did like, as Django said, Gabriel's story, the, the brother who's left the magic realms behind because spoiler because his daughter got killed for some reason because of her involvement with magic i love like as one of the siblings as they're trying to recruit him and as he's uh trying to argue that he he come what does he say he basically just says like no like i'm tired of helping with you guys like everything is always the end of the world with you guys it's always so much (laughs) pressure and i'm like that's what it would be like if you were a superhero. That's what it always is. It's just nothing but, I don't know, crazy drama. And I can imagine yeah. this guy, like, even if it means I'm going to die and I can't save the world, like, I would rather live a life where I'm not constantly averting world-ending catastrophes. And Yeah. And but, also his daughter died right. probably because of the lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read this. I'm probably going to watch the TV show unless... Uh, Preacher season three overlaps with it. And I don't think it will. Um, <laughs> Lots I give of burps. This book an eight point five. I think it was really, really good. Um, nope. Fuck it. Fuck y'all. Nine. I'm Nine. the man who's taking stands these days. So. I'm gonna give it an eight point five. Oh, you punzi. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> try that again. I'm going to give it an 8.5. You pansy flower. It's offensive too. You dirty rat. <laughs> <laughs> ah, it's curtains, you see. Oh, they're lovely. Ah, curtains. What, uh, what do you give it, Romy? Um, I'll give it a, I'll give it a seven. Just because I'm still a little weir- leery of, I'm just kidding. I'm I made afraid. Really I'm afraid it's going to crash and burn for me. Face yeah. at him, which is every time Roman lifted his butt cheek last week, we got a ten. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> he drops that phantom dong with no with reckless abandon. You know the thing about this stomach that we've been developing here on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, gosh, Roman, you oh got the gosh. reins here, buddy. The I Roman, Roman reins. reins. Ah, <laughs> wrestling. This is my yard. <laughs> Though that sounded more like Hulk. I was going well, thank you. I was gonna let you do the reins. Somebody that, I, that's why in the world would someone else start talking about Plastic Man? Yeah, you I, are the Plastic Man king. It I, is I very know. Jeff-like to probably steal the reins and try and talk about it himself. <laughs> but Plastic Man number one by Gail Simone and Adriana Mello. Is she related to to Mello? James? Oh, James. No. James Mello. Oh, oh, our sub. She's related to Mello Yellow. Carmela is money. Man. Holy shit, this is a waste of time. Sorry, keep going. Wrong. Okay. Oh, fuck. <laughs> that, oh, that was a God. plastic man There goes burp. the podcast uh, award we were going for with this episode. My microphone <laughs> smells funny. Yeah, that's all of Colette's <laughs> residual burp in there. Uh, plastic Man number one. This starts off with the retelling of, of Plastic Man's origin. He was E.L. O'Brien, a minor criminal. Begins, he's in an alleyway. The crime boss is going to beat the crap out of him with his thugs while his, his mall, that's M-O-L, is waiting for him. She's all gussied up to go out dancing and get some prime rib. And they're going to beat E.L. with a baseball bat. Are you going page by page? Sorry, I started, I started going and segueing in, going into what we do on Infinity Content. <laughs> all right, we got three hours. <laughs> yeah. Um, this was a fun book. I was surprised they started off with Plastic Man's origin again. It's wacky. There's he's a smart ass. Um, he might be mental, a little deranged. Isn't he traditionally? Yeah, but I didn't think he was when he was Eel O'Brien. Oh, okay. So that to me that seemed a little bit of a addition. I, I always it always seemed like he became kind of deranged after he got his powers. But okay. Maybe he was just a little off all to begin with. Um, they beat the crap out of him. He's laying there in the alley and maybe hallucinating this this child that shows up and tells him some. Some things. God, I hope he's hallucinating the kid because the kid uses the term "that's so wang," and he gets confused and starts using that term "wang." Yeah, yeah. Is wang good or bad? Does it still mean penis? Yeah. And so <laughs> I was reading this book, and this kid shows up, like we're trying to talk about on page four here, um, and the child uses the term "wang" twice. And as I was reading this, I was like, "Come on, Gail Simone! Like, you sound like an adult writing kids. Like, you don't know what kids are saying at all." Kids don't say "wang." They don't say that. <laughs> and then it immediately becomes the joke that like he doesn't know what "wang" means. Is it even a word? What does it mean? And he says, "That's so wang." And it just crops up several times throughout the book, and it perfectly balances that like subverts your expectation for what was going on and then makes fun of it through repetition but not overusing repetition like ah repetition is such a scalpel you know (laughs) well done gail simone well done gail yeah yeah so plaz goes out on this quest to find because he doesn't remember plaz because he doesn't remember what happened exactly he thinks he got shot and killed um after the gang he was helping he was he was cracking the safe a guard shows up. The guard gets killed. Plastic Man gets shot. Um, Eel O'Brien gets shot. 
doesn't remember what happened after that, except he wakes up at some point and he's still alive. So he's go, going after the old gang members to find out who exactly killed the guard and who, sh- well, I think the guard accidentally shot him. He does a classic thing going back to the golden age where Plaz like makes himself into a woman in order to, to either seduce or piss off whatever criminal he happens to be facing. He's basically Bugs Bunny. Yeah. Yeah, basically. He turns his um, car, his body into a car that he drives at one point, and he pokes his head out the top of it with a scarf on. And oh, and there's moments of horror when when Eel, when the, what they changed about Pop, this. there's moments of horror. And what they changed about, moments of horror. Horror. Good, good Lord, choke. Um, good Lord. <laughs> I don't know if that's a what? direct reference, right? As we were in Tadeo's reading this, he's like, do you think it is? I think it is. Okay. I read this book with Roman <laughs> at a restaurant, and yes. I don't think that there's anything you can do to increase your enjoyment of this book more than reading it with Roman. As <laughs> I'm giggling and stuff. It also, like, really completes the puzzle of who Roman is, because <laughs> this is his favorite character, and he is a lot like him. Am I? Oh, I picked out such a, a such a compliment. Like um, so as he like gets to the scene of this crime where this, the guy was murdered, mm-hmm. he's like, oh, man, who killed you? And then the guy who was murdered lifts his bloody hand up and writes JLA. Oh, yeah, at the end. Do yeah. you think that that actually happened? Because that dude looks really dead to me. And what's he writing on? And, like, how can this dead guy who's not talking? I was wondering about that because, yeah, and it looks like his eyes are gone. Yeah, like he looks... <laughs> dead and like plastic man is crazy that's the thing and yeah is plasma man hallucinating i mean how much is really happening here and this is set obviously sometime before um what was that big metal. crossover metal and and the mr the terrific yeah this I, I i had i had questions about that because this seems like it's gotta be pretty far back yeah this has to be far in the past because in Metal, Batman is scared of Plastic Man because mm-hmm. he's lost his mind. So it, either this has to catch up to where Plastic Man loses his mind or it's set you know, far enough back that, that Batman can have interactions with him mm-hmm. and that some, something can trigger him to, to go absolutely batshit. Wang, it's so Wang. This book was... So wanged out. It was wanged out. It was there, wanged up. There was another moment when, oh, the horror moment when his face is melting. Horror. Oh, because they, because yeah, he doesn't fall in a vat of chemicals here like the Joker or like Plastic Man originally. He gets this gaseous stuff. <clears throat> the container gets shot and it spills this gas on Eel and that's what starts giving him his powers, apparently. What's interesting is when he goes to sleep, he's wearing a suit on top of the covers. When he wakes up, he's naked under the covers. What happened? He doesn't look, he doesn't look in clothes in that shot of him in his bed. No, he doesn't. But, but when he gets in bed, he's on top, fully clothed with shoes. He just shoes. hasn't gotten all in the covers yet. Yeah, but it I, made for a great moment because then when this woman from Spiral shows up and he makes his six-pack and then his 12-pack and then his... Thunderdome. Yeah. Is this what it looks like when I talk about the shadow? It sounds a lot like it, yeah. <laughs> Except for this one is not incredibly derivative of Batman, which is nice. Well, that is... I guess that is nice. Yeah. Uh, well, I give this uh, Plastic Man book a wang and a half. I give it seven and a half wangs. Did you guys notice next issue was Man Bat? How Man many wangs is that? That's exciting. I don't know. It's... it's Bat wangs. Oh. Oh. Uh, <laughs> get it? Like wangs. Like Jack and wangs. Bruce wang. Bruce wang. The wang comes down. <laughs> so I, I think I have to give this a ten. I knew it. Well, yeah. I knew I mean, it. I mean, how, could I, how could I not give it anything less? <laughs> how could I give it anything less? He squeezed out a 10. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
So we didn't talk about issue number one of A Walk Through Hell on the podcast. We meant to. We ran out of time when that first issue came out. Um, and I don't number think Django was, was here, so it's nice that you are here um, for this one. Uh, I was here. Were you? Pretty sure. So we basically have, in the first issue, these two police detectives, which are, they're called in, they, we introduced them in a really interesting way, and the storytelling was real nice, uh, a dual narration with the images that we were being fed, so there's sort of, you're processing the story on two levels, but it all sort of comes together as these two police agents are brought to this big warehouse, uh, where a something bad has happened and a SWAT team has just gone in and they all came out because they all had this horrible, overwhelming fear, anxiety thing and they all left um, and they couldn't really explain it and then that issue ended with all of them in a car murdering each other and a group suicide as the two police detectives that we have been following walk into the uh, facility. And, and we lose contact And with we them. lose contact with them. So this one takes, it starts with them waking up in it and... It's messed up. Yeah. Like, they, they wake up, and they, they're talking and trying to figure out why did they pass out and what happened, and they keep hearing a soft gunshot and then really loud shells hitting the ground, which I don't know if Jeff's fans know this, but I have a really hard time with sounds being wrong. Mm-hmm. So, like, Erica, my girlfriend, will whisper through a megaphone, and it just makes me want to slap the megaphone out of her hands. It's <laughs> it's the worst sound in the world to me. And that's what like the way this is written and illustrated, I could I felt that same feeling every time you saw the shell hit the ground and you knew that the gunshot was quiet and the shell was loud. I it it just gave me the heebie-jeebies and it turns out that it's their buddy from the FBI shooting himself in the head over and over and over and He's not alive, and he's not dead. He's non-responsive. He's just doing... He's just shooting himself in the head over and over and over, and there are way too many shells <laughs> for that to have been realistic. And it's, it's horrifying. It's horrifying, and another just really interesting thing that's happening in this issue is we're with these two people who wake up. They don't know how long they've been in here, and they're trying to figure out what's going on. Um, we just at two different points, cut to totally different scenes of these two people interacting. At one point, they're in a diner, and they're talking about this murdering case that has is so spread out, the crimes, they probably aren't related. Kidnapping. Oh, is it kidnapping? I, I don't think it's actual murder. Okay. People are kidnapping kids. And then they're starting to realize, like, well, what if it actually is the same person who's doing this all over this side of the country? Cut back to this horrible scene of this them in there. And them trying to figure out, like, how do we get this guy who who's missing half of his head, like very graphically missing half of his head. How, yeah. how do we get him to stop shooting himself in the head? And, oh, yeah, and that scene is... It's so yeah. good. And then it cuts back to them, like, tracking down uh, a convicted pedophile in one of these towns who maybe would have some information, and the scene ends as they're knocking on his door, and through the window we can see that he's hung himself. And then it cuts back. Like, it's just these, like, really well-done horrifically foreboding scenes and you know what it really reminded me of was uh, Annihilation okay. or um, there's some other like non sci-fi but horror sort of like uh, the newest um, Cloverfield um, yeah. just one of those like holy shit we're here we don't know how long we've been here what just happened and nothing fits and everything is horrible and it's like a dark mirror of the world we, we knew it's a it's a thriller like wrapped in a horror. Yeah, and it's it's not like 
yeah, it's it's really well done, and it's Garth Innes. It's not the most. It it feels a little bit like a thing that I've seen before, mm-hmm. in terms of the way like something is going on in this place, and it's making people. It's also a lot like the movie The Ritual that came out on Netflix a couple months ago. It's a really great horror movie that's sort of like this as well. Just like something about this place is causing things to not make sense and. And the way that people are making like this nature of storytelling is is particularly horrific, and and it's hard to do. Yeah, it's it, hard to do well, and this is done really, really well. Darth Ennis is way too good at writing comic books. Um, the art is is totally fine for it. It's not bad at all. It's not like right home about it, but it's it's good art that does a it does a nice job. Um, the issue as they wake up in the warehouse. The woman has been having these dreams. One of the cops is a woman. And when she's having these dreams, her arm is, like, reaching for something. And her other arm is always grabbing that arm and trying to stop it. And she's saying, don't. And these are these – so we don't know what that is. But in both issues, she's been, like – when she sleeps, she's reliving some horrible thing where her arm is reaching for a thing. And she's stopping herself from doing it. I didn't catch that in the first issue. Yeah, that's, That's like – That's cool. Well, that's why, like – one of the things that was so well done about that first issue is as we're meeting the two cops, um, we have a narration that's totally unrelated and then the panels are alternating between her and him. Right. And she's waking up going through this whole thing and he's just like kind of driving and getting some coffee. And it perfectly illustrates the difference in the emotional intensity of these two characters while also like all of that has to be generated by the reader because the narration is talking about something totally separate. Mm-hmm. And that's just an instance of, to me of like, that's really good comic booking. That's somebody like Garth Ennis who has written a billion comics and knows how a person reads a book. Yeah. This, this gave me like the right, hmm. This, gave me, a, this, this gave me a preacher boner. Oh! Like the violence a in Cassidy this. A Cassidy Kane. Okay. The violence in this is similar to the preacher violence, which when I first read Preacher, I was like, holy cow, they're blowing people's heads off and arms are flying everywhere and this is super crazy and violent. And this is not super crazy. It is very violent, but it like you turn the page and you just kind of get punched in the stomach with this this imagery that that is it's not hard to look at, but it's very lurid. The uh, dude with the head blown out reminds me of scenes of Cassidy in Preacher. Yeah. Like, just scenes where he's been in the sun or gone through, like, some horrible violent thing. And, like, Garth like, Ennis can Ill- like, conjure those images and also have it be in a situation that isn't, like, uber grotesque. Yeah. No, this this absolutely drives the story, which mm-hmm. it, it would seem pretty uh, kind of gratuitous if it wasn't very important to the story and, and something that the characters deal with for most of the issue. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, really, really good book if you're in for a horror book. I would give this one uh, an eight. It's a really good mystery that is also scary. It's well done. I'm going to give it a 9.5. Yeah! <laughs> that is a high Django score. It's really yeah, it good. Is. Yeah. It's really good. I love, I love, wow. I love. I'm going to give it a wang. Oh, yeah. that seems accurate to me. Wangtown. Um, on the topic of Wang, uh, Doctor Stark carries a Wang around. <laughs> I just said on the topic of Wang, and Roman looked at me like that's doesn't that's not what Wang is. Like we have like that's the point of the word Wang is there's no I'm, definition. I'm constantly for redefining it. Wang in my head. I was trying to figure out how, what 
the star rod? Is that what you're saying? Is the wing? I don't like the way it feels in my mouth. Wang. <laughs> I love the way it feels in my mouth. <laughs> you can reach that far? You knock them up, I set them down. Quit knocking people up. That's been the big problem. All right, so uh, from the world of Black Hammer, we've got Dr. Star and the Kingdom of Lost Tomorrows. This is number four. This is the end of the series. Jeff Lemire wrote it. Uh, Max Fumara drew it. Dave Stewart colored it. And Nate Pikos probably lettered it. Um, I don't think we've actually talked too much about this book on the podcast. So I thought we did the first it, issue. We maybe did. But. So, so it seems like Jeff Lemire and or Dark Horse are going <coughs> the Hellboy route with Black Hammer, where they're making a whole bunch of miniseries about minor characters and spin-off characters and trying to make them stand alone but also fit into the universe. And I don't know exactly how I feel about that yet. I feel like right now, having read every single shred of Black Hammer that I could find, I feel like those guys who understand what's going on in Hellboy and enjoy Hellboy. As a guy who didn't get into Hellboy on the ground floor, I am totally lost and uninterested in jumping in. So I'm worried that this is going to be my favorite comic and it's going to just lose people and lose people and lose people as the world grows bigger and there's more and more to jump into. But this one seems to focus really, really well or, or like – uh, the the main series seems to function really well without having read these. Yeah, but I now not, the main series is two miniseries. Yeah, and I think that that is almost semantic. Like, I, I think yeah. that that was a bad move on their part, and I only think that they kind of did that to take a break. And But and adding a the, suffix on there was a bad call. Like, the trade paperbacks are going to probably come out with serial numbers rather than trying to reboot Although they time. just solicited a hardcover for that whole first phase. Right, but then we'll, we'll that'll be volume one. Then we'll get a hardcover for the second phase, and that'll be volume yeah. two, probably. Yeah, 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 yeah and that's so, what I think. Yeah, it's it's made for trades. All that said, Jeff Lemire just keeps impressing me. Um, this one, this one wraps up the story of this guy who is basically Starman, uh, also basically James Robinson. Right, I think his name is even close to James Robinson. He looks a lot like James Robinson, the the writer of Starman, and uh, he's he had a family. He came up with this device that lets him travel to other worlds, and he left the family in order to take care of something, and ended up staying away so long that his wife hated him, and his kid has cancer and is dying. And so, like, all four issues have kind of been his backstory and why he stayed in these places mixed with him dealing with the fact that when he came back, his family isn't what he thought it would be. And, of course, it's not. Like, he was gone forever. Why would they still like him? Why would they be happy that he was back? He kind of abandoned them. Yeah. And not it, for a bad reason, really. No, not for a bad reason. Though he points out in this, he realizes that even – before he took off to space, he was still so immersed in his work and everything mm-hmm. that he kind of left them in some ways beforehand. And when he left, time passed differently, you know, with all that Einsteinian logic. Um, time passed differently where he was. Physics, Roman. Oh, yeah, physics. Yeah, but it's more like fun Einsteinian. to say Einsteinian logic. Um, time passed differently for him. So, like, I think he says somewhere in one of the issues, like, you know, a few days passed for him, but years, decades passed for his wife and child. Yeah. So, yeah. of course, you know, they both end up very bitter. 
And it, like, man, the end of this, he he brings his sick, dying son to the moon using his his power, and um, the kid dies in his arms before they can have a Whoa. full resolution. <laughs> and it is it's, it's it fucking is, heavy. Yeah, it's so well done. It's also that looks gorgeous. It, I mean, it is. It's gorgeous. The, it's the art's amazing. I read this while I was brushing my teeth, and I was bummed <laughs> that I wasn't in a more like really? comfortable, quiet place when I did it. Yeah, because it's a very quiet issue, and the buildup to the, before they fly off into space. Because he shows his son, his son, his last wishes. He didn't want his dad anywhere near him, but his dad shows up at the hospital and knows he's not supposed to be there. But he just has to say some things, but he doesn't know if his son can hear him or not. I am tearing up yeah. looking at and those pages. Yeah. So this so is so sad. It's so sad. It's so beautiful. It's so poignant. There's yeah, and the, I, the fact he actually does get to make one final connection with his son that his son allows that, mm-hmm. and that his son wants to do this thing that his dad has always loved doing, and maybe at the core is why he took off. But it's also, early in, in the earlier issues, the kid wanted to go with him, and the dad never took him on a, on yeah. a trip to the moon or whatever. And yeah. he finally does it after the kid's too sick to really... Uh, it's Every time I think Jeff Lemire has found every possible way of making me feel weird about my relationship with my dad, which is <laughs> which is a pretty good one. Like I don't I don't feel like I have a lot of unresolved stuff with my dad. Like we get along, we hang out and we talk, and I like I don't feel like there's a a barrier there. Jeff Lemire makes me feel like like I really relate to these characters who have big like big worlds between them and their fathers and I, I don't I don't know how he does it he's really good at this I would I would give this uh, this issue probably a nine I would give this series an eight and I would give black hammer overall a, a 20 yeah it's it's mm. it's some of the best comic book I don't even want to say the best superhero stuff it is superhero stuff but it's good comic books yeah yeah this particular series, Doctor Star, the four issues, I would give a nine. This particular issue, I'll give a ten, mm. which makes me, in a way, I'm like, uh, I gave Plastic Man a ten, but I would say they're both tens, but in such completely different, opposite. You know what? Ways. Sometimes you want chocolate candy yeah. bars, and sometimes, sometimes you, you want to cry. A <laughs> burrito. I mean, they're both things that are amazing examples of how comic books can be so good. Yeah, as is our third one, Mister Miracle. I think that's our fourth. Our fourth one. Well, we'll get there. <laughs> oh, gosh, you guys. It's here. Yes. It happened. What? I'm uh, intelligently... Was something secreted? I'm going to secrete my... F- Ew, it's so... Yeah. How about this? Uh, let, let me try this. Yeah, You please. ready? Yeah. Uh, it's no secrete that Jeff loves S.H.I.E.L.D. by Jonathan Hickman. <laughs> it's S-H... Oh, God. <laughs> L. Period. D. Period. Oh, got it in my eye. Oh, God. <laughs> you boy. Oh, a bunch of boys do this podcast, I see. Um, boys who are also children. Yeah. Um, Shield number six by Jonathan Hickman and Dustin Weaver. So, I want to... I don't know what that was. We first... I thought you were going to say Wang. <laughs> Dustin, Dustin Wang. Wang. Dustin Weaver. <laughs> Um, so I do want to just take one more second to illustrate the history of this book. In 2011, Jonathan Hickman and Dustin Weaver started writing S.H.I.E.L.D. It was going to be 12 issues long. They did the first 10 issues. The first six were collected in a paperback. And then for the second six, they started that numbering back at one through six in the same way that Black Hammer is renumbered for the second volume. 
They only made four issues of that second volume, and then seven years went by, and now finally those last two issues of five and six of the second volume, which are actually 11 and 12, are coming out. How does the <laughs> art translate? Like, that's, that's what's that's a, that's really, long... really interesting. Yeah. And, not, and that's one of the things I love so much about this series and getting to read it, is not only the art, but the storytelling. There is a seven-year gap between mm. you know the bulk of it and these final two issues. <laughs> so being me, I can't help but try and look at how the art has evolved and the storytelling has evolved. And i got to be honest, the art actually made me a little quicker. Um, still absolutely incredible. And then Jonathan Hickman, I honestly just feel like dude spent seven years figuring out how he wanted to nail this landing. And he absolutely nailed the landing. Nice. Um, so the last two issues, we have been dealing with our crew of people. Um, Leonid, who is the son of Isaac Newton and Michelangelo simultaneously. Um, you know, they're all traveling around in the giant human machine that Leonardo da Vinci had created that has sent them to all possible futures um, embodied by... Uh, the height of modernity, the fall of man, and the destruction of all things, which is basically to say um, they're exploring human potential across every possible outcome of history that could happen. And I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. Um, this book is just about... It's, a, it's an idea, and it deals with an idea that is my favorite idea it's really what got me back really into comic books as an adult which uh, is ideas that Grant Morrison really put through his comic books are the most inspiring to me and I don't get them a lot but Morrison plays with them a lot and Hickman also plays with them a lot and it's just sort of like big meta statements about life and art and ideas and what the human purpose is here um, and he sort of says like the, the the goal of life is to explore possibility and that's kind of what we're here for and uh it's so huge and it's so big but there is a moment halfway through this issue where i was reading this i had already picked out my pick of the week and it was magic order because I, I really like that and i just got to work early enough today to read this um before we opened and i just got this huge dumb grin on my face as i was reading it because like the dude just nails it, and he gets at these points that bring such huge joy to me. Um, and the whole thing is a sort of conversation between Isaac Newton and Michelangelo, which both really embody the idea of Isaac Newton is really negative. He's certain he represents um, fate, and we're here to do this thing, and we can't change it, whereas Michelangelo is representing the idea of free will, and you know, uh, your, your life is up to you, and Ultimately, they make this uh, time loop infinity um, where they, you know, create a reality where both of those exist. And it's just, it's incredibly beautiful. Um, and all of that happens to sort of remake reality to where we are now and our, our Marvel Universe in 2018, which is why Michelangelo, or sorry, Leonardo da Vinci has been showing up in some other Marvel books. Um, Jonathan Hickman started this book years and years ago and probably had an idea of where he wanted it to go, but the fact that it waited seven years meant that that ending got to sort of perfectly tether itself to the continuity of the Marvel Universe and I think find a landing point that was really perfect that, that wouldn't have been there if this book had ended seven years ago. Um, and it you know, ends with uh, Tony Stark's dad writing this letter to him since he's one of the main characters in the book. And uh, um, 
Yeah, and it's just sort of you can you can sum up the ideas I'm talking about with it, which is just the statement that everything begins with an idea, everything begins with an image, uh, and when you have that, you build, and that is those Morrison ideas of like Superman. Why is Superman so wonderful? It's because he's an idea, like sh- you know, Schuster and Siegel s- wanted to write a story about the ultimate good you know, like a Jesus figure, and they created Superman. Uh, the people who in World War II wanted to drop a nuclear bomb wanted to do something evil that would destroy the lives of millions of people, and they thought about that long enough that they were able to pluck this idea of, you know, a bomb and the science that would support that from the ether and sort of bring that fifth-dimensional idea concept into into our reality. It all starts with an idea, and you, you sort of bring that down into your world and, and build with it. Um... And that's what, so this is basically the origin of the concept of the, the company, you know, the, the organization S.H.I.E.L.D. And uh, it's just masterful. It's huge and it's way too big of an in, un, endeavor for two people to have done and they did it. And uh, it's a thing that I'll read over and over again and I can't wait for them to have all of it collected into a big hardcover. The art is beautiful. The art and story, like you can see their progression as storytellers over seven years. Um, I It's... Even before I had finished, you know, if you'd said two years ago, what are my favorite Hickman books, this would have been up there, uh, even though it's such a bummer that it never got to finish. And um, I'm so glad it has an ending. And it's just, it's as good as Hickman is ever. He, it's, it's one of my three favorite books of his, and it's, you know, one of my favorite Marvel books I've ever read. So it's really, really good, and it's really, really big, and it's really, really hopeful. Um, but it also could get bogged down by how sort of crazy it is. But, like, gosh... Um, you know, he sort of says, it begins as all life does, random, chaotic, and simple. Then, through environmental catalysts or by natural and unnatural stimuli, things evolve. They become more. Some species, under the watchful eyes of their revolutionary and evolutionary betters, call them gods wielding magic, if you want. Call them aliens wielding science, if that suits you better. They dare to remake themselves in the in their maker's image and eventually seize control of their own future, grabbing on tight with both hands. And it shows from a bacteria to the evolution of man you know our, our species evolving but it shows in the back like celestials when they showed up there or the Cree when they showed up there or just all the, like you know the watcher watching the first human make fire like just huge big concepts about life and art and uh, what it is to be a human then tethered to Marvel continuity uh, just fucking Good. I give it a 10, hands down. It's some of the finest stuff I've ever read. It is not for everybody. Um, but if you have any questions or want to know anything or my thoughts on it, do come in and talk about it. Um, ask questions, please. It's super confusing and how it was put out. It doesn't make sense. I can't wait for them to just have it all collected so people can really just read it and understand um, how, how the issues came out. But it's one of the best things I've ever read. Are they going to give us a soft cover before, like a soft cover volume two? Yeah, the hardcover comes out in like a month of this second one. So I imagine paperback will come out like a month after that. And then I imagine that they'll collect it all up into like a big tome, presumably. Well, oh, so the hardcover is just going to be these six issues. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then they'll do a paperback of that. And then probably an absolute or an omnibus. Yeah, whatever. I mean, it's like a total of 12 issues. So it's it's not a huge thing, but. But just seeing the art in there and hearing you talk about, I can't wait to get to that issue because I'm starting over with volume one yeah. trade paperback. The whole scenes of like at some point, like Isaac Newton is stripped to like five layers of existence, like bone, muscle, nervous system, you know, skin, and it's 
and he just sort of stays like that as they're having these big conversations. And I don't want to spoil anything, but, you know, what happens to Newton and, the, you know, certainty, when you have certainty of existence and really what that is, which is the lack of change, the lack of possibility, which is even the lack of hope, you know, it's when you're certain of something, it's almost like you want bad things to happen. I don't know. It's, it's, oh, I could go on, but it's, it's just so good. So do, do you think that, uh, do you think it really took Hickman this long to crack the ending? No, I think he probably had an ending. And I, I think that he probably toyed with that in the back of his mind for the last seven years. He's been doing all the different stuff he's been doing. I think he probably had resigned to not finishing it, but I do think that based on the success of his writing and, uh, Marvel was probably like, Hey, do you want to finish that? And also, like, maybe tie it into like the big next Everything. phase of Marvel stuff. Um, yeah. So yeah, really, is, really good. Do you think there's a reason that the what's his name son is named Leonid? Leonid is that? Is there? I mean, that that means lion, but is I don't know. I I don't know enough about it, and it's been a long time since I read the mm. first volume, so I can't wait to reread it all. But, um, guys. <gasps> Thanks what? for letting me do that. Um, let's get this family circus together. Don't S- ever say family circus again. Yay, Barfy what did it. What about the McElroy <laughs> family circus? Oh, God. Barfy, <laughs> not me. <laughs> They're so cute. Um, <laughs> who wants to go first, Jenga? Sure. You want to do it? Uh, you got 90 seconds on the clock. Go. 90 seconds for what? Oh, you don't even need these four seconds. All right, listen. Uh, I read The Weatherman number one. That was pretty good. I like the uh, I like the future they've got. I like the dickhead who is their uh, protagonist, and I really like the ad for shirtless bear fighter toys that have uh, <laughs> cops out. Wang, what? not in the slang way. I also read the Man of Steel number six. I'm glad that the cop or the uh, the firefighter lady is back. These issues don't feel like they are coming out as issues. They feel like parts of trade paperbacks, and I'm curious to read it all at once when it comes out in the end. Pretty good stuff. Analog number three. This series, I would say, just keeps getting better. It's, uh, yeah, everything's progressing. Everything is more and more interesting. I like the characters. I like the, I like the story. Michael Cray. Number eight, on the other hand, was probably the low point of the series for me, even though it's still got John Constantine in it. Maybe he's Constantine in this world. Maybe he's Constantine. I don't know. Kick-ass, number five. Uh, sure, I'll keep reading that until it's <laughs> over. Good job, Mark Miller. And The Fix, number 12. I'm so glad that The Fix is back and that it's still going and that there's toilet jokes and that there's just – this is just a dumb, silly, fun series. I can't believe – that I just did six books in under a minute and a half. Uh, I would recommend reading everything I read. (laughs) (laughs) You want numbers? I want numbers, but I also want to say that, do you, I forget which teams are with which books, but you know that like Kevin Smith and Jeff Lemire and somebody else are taking over Kick-Ass and Hit-Girl. Really? Yeah, they're dividing it up into now small arcs written by different people. And Jeff Lemire is doing one, and Kevin Smith is, I'm pretty sure, doing the Hit hit Girl one. I think Jeff Lemire is doing the next Kick-Ass one. Sure. I mean, I I like the characters. Kick-Ass is not um, Dave Lewitsky. No. Or whoever he was before. Um, Lazowski? It's still good. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, Kick-Ass is not great, and neither is Hit Girl right now, but... 
both very enjoyable, both very comic book comic books. Yeah. So I'm going to go in the same order that I read those in. Um, oh, oh. Uh, I fucked that up. Yeah, What? where did it go? The Weatherman, Jody LaHoop, Nathan Fox, Dave Stewart. I'm going to give that one a seven and a half. I could see this series reaching an eight in my life. Uh, The Man of Steel, which was probably the next one I did. Brian Michael Bendis, Ryan Sook, Jason Fabok. Um, I'm going to give this a six. I want it to be better, and I want it to be more exciting. I I don't... I don't feel bad that Kandor is all dead because we didn't see any little tiny dead bodies. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Kandor's dead. Probably. Um, Analog, I'm going to give a seven. Solid spy stuff. Michael Cray, I'm going to give a six. Still digging it. This one just was, didn't, didn't grab me like the others. Kick-Ass, I'm going to give a six and a half. And The Fix, I'm going to give a seven and a half. Any questions? No questions. Jeff, I like that. Go. Um, Detective Comics 982, Morrissey and Fiumara. Wow, that same artist who did that Dr. Star issue. Um, this was the first issue since Jimmy TIV, and a new writer takes over the next issue. So it's just a really in the middle one. It took me a while to get into it and get a feel for what was going on. It's just uh, the way Roman described it a classic Batman has to, you know, remember that he has faith and hope in Gotham City and that it is worth saving and, you know, sort of dwell it, pull it out of the darkness, but it all takes place in the sewers, so there's no lighting. That made the story pretty hard to follow, I found, even though it was very pretty art. Uh, Man of Steel number three, Bendis and Souk. I agree with pretty much everything Django said. Um, the Fortress of Solitude is destroyed and Candor is destroyed, but there really wasn't much emotional weight to that, unfortunately, and Superman seems to get over it pretty quickly, and Supergirl shows up, and then they're sort of just, like, flying around trying to find who did that bad thing, and they're in the city, and they're stopping bad stuff from happening, and they're talking, and they're almost like they're talking to the bad guy, and the final page is them looking at the bad guy, and no one's saying anything, but it also felt like they were just talking in the page before that, and none of it really, really made too much sense in, in terms of the plotting, so I do think it all worked together, just like Django said, as a trade, but it would, sort of the plotting was, I don't know, that this was the weakest issue of the three to me. Michael Crane, number six, also probably, I would agree, the weakest issue of this series. The first half was pretty hard to get into, but I did really like the second half. Um, Michael Crane is talking to whatever cancerous entity is in his brain, um, stress him out, and uh, I really like that going on. The Punisher is a book that is still coming out, and I read it. <laughs> well done. Um... I don't know how we're like 15 weeks into this, and I still don't know how to turn off the alarm on you your know, phone. You know, it's the same alarm as on your phone. I don't use it like that. Hey, uh, <laughs> I got. I, I don't like to. I don't like to shit on your words. Yeah, but yeah. It's, it's actually two different artists with the same last name. No way. Detective was Sebastian Fiumara. Wow. And Doctor Solar is Max Fiumara. You're totally right, but look at the shading wow. in it. It's yeah. actually pretty similar, like darks in there. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Although the guy that did. Uh, Detective looks more like Tom Mandrake mixed with... He does. Um, mixed with the guy that did the Max, Sam Keith, Don't to me. live oh. your life just reading last names, people. You'll make mistakes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll say. Michael Cray, I'm going to give... I'm actually going to give a little higher than Jen. I'm going to give it a seven. It, like, it was hard to get into, but I think it set up a really interesting dynamic, and it was the first issue where things kind of changed. Like... Michael Cray is now maybe no longer working for the people he has been working for. Yeah. Or he is pretending. But that was well done. Um, I did like Wonder Woman stabbing the guy through the desk. That yeah. was pretty awesome. 
Uh, Man of Steel number three. I'm going to give a 6.5. Like, just like Django said, it's not the best. And I'm not, I wasn't too bummed about it, but like, I'm happy it's coming out weekly. I want to read it every week. I want it to be good. And somehow, Bendis has done exactly what he does, you know, what he did at Marvel, which is like, even when it's not good, it's still totally inoffensive and a joy to read. It's it's kind of compelling even when it's not good. Like, you want to see what happens next. Yeah. Um, And then Punisher, uh, I'll give, you know. A six. I don't know why I kept reading this book other than that it was in my stack. And at one point, Baron Zemo is playing with stuff on his desk, and there's a little Captain America, Hydra Captain America action figure <laughs> on his desk, and I thought that was pretty funny. I ran into a man on the street today. Oh? Yeah. A Nazi? This dude was, no, no, not a Nazi. Jesus. Was he a Hydra agent? Because no. Baron hey, Zemo Django. is a Nazi. He's Hydra. He's <laughs> a Nazi. All right, Phil, they think you're a Nazi, I guess. Whoa, <laughs> Phil, you're a great guy. No, no, no. He's Phil Satile was just hanging out on the street today. Oh, no, I hope he's not becoming a street folk. He's not. Okay, good. He was uh, walking home, walking back to his car from our store. Oh. I ran into him, and we had a short conversation about um, how I kind of wonder if Brian Michael Bendis has the same freedoms working for DC that he did for Marvel. Or if there are like editor editor conflicts or just a difference in the atmosphere. I think that they that are letting him do messing with him. Ever he wants. So maybe at Marvel he had somebody to spank him and say, This issue isn't very good. Tweak these three things. Yeah. You I know think- what I mean? Like like it just it feels like Bendis, but it doesn't Something's off. I bet that everyone there is afraid to step on his toes. Yeah. Also, like one of the reasons, one of the things that contributed to some discontent on his part was, you know, saying that he didn't have total creative control over <clears throat> some things. Mm-hmm. So I think the DC probably, in response to that, made sure he had total creative control over his own things. And this, you're actually, you're right. This does feel a bit like no one's being like, oh, that's a good idea. Maybe try this though. Like it doesn't seem like there's much of an editor involved. I would I would say if that's the case, yeah, they should learn a lesson from the Star Wars prequels, because at this point <laughs> nobody's comfortable telling George Lucas, "Don't do that." Maybe rethink this. And did George Lucas write all three of the original Star Wars? No, no. But he wrote the prequels. I don't even know if he did that. That seems he like fucked up the prequels. A bad call on anyone's part. But yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, it, it just seems like there's there. It, it's definitely Bendis, but maybe a slightly differently managed Bendis that yeah, is or, not or working well for us. Bendis. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Roman, oh. you get ninety seconds all to yourself. Go. Okay, God, I'm thinking about Empire Strikes Back now. Uh, Thor, <laughs> Thor, first issue of Thor. Um, on the inside. <laughs> uh, two stories by Jason Aaron. The, f- the first story reintroducing. Traditional Thor as Thor. It was a good story, good action, lots of good nods to Thor history and Marvel history. Um, Good dialogue. Everybody you want to see is in here. Loki, Odin, Namor shows up. The Juggernaut shows up. All cool. But I'm not a fan of Mike Del Mundo's artwork. That, that, oh, man, I don't know. I'm going to stick with it because it's Thor. I love Thor. The backup story is great. I wish that artist had been doing the front-up story. Christian Ward. Um, of future Thor with his granddaughters. That was cool. Uh, Nancy Drew, number one, from Dynamite by Kelly Thompson, Jen Stange, 
or St. Ange, I don't know. Um, this was a lot of fun. Fun artwork, cool characters, the good character interaction. They all have distinct personalities. There's some great mystery. Starts off, Nancy Drew is rescuing this goat mascot from the rival school, is hidden it in the swamp. That's a really fun rescue. Um, this was the Hardy Boys show up at the end for the big mystery, the big dangerous mystery. Jeff got me to read this. This was a blast. I, I want I've, to read it, but I have not read it. I've never read any Nancy Drew before. I'm, I'm tickled. It was fun. Exiles number four from Marvel. Great book, fun book. I just accidentally canceled the timer, but it did go off. Can I just say they go back in time to when the early FF when the thing stayed in the past and became Blackbeard the pirate and hung out being a buccaneer. Yarr. And that's awesome. It's awesome. They save a bunch of slaves. <laughs> um Is this Nancy Drew book the same universe as the Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys? I don't know because I didn't read any of that. Was that dynamite? It was dynamite. It was dynamite, but it was like super hard-boiled, fucked up stuff. Yeah, wasn't that a serious series? And Very yeah. serious. Yeah, this looks all ages. Yeah, or at this, least this, young teen. This definitely seems yeah, what you just said. This looks like um, a boom book. It does look like a it book. Does. Like a kaboom. It story. does. I actually until that moment when I actually said it was dynamite, I thought it was boom. Uh. What um, kind of scores do you get these, Romy? I'll give Nancy Drew, I'll give that an... I'm not doing points. I'll give that a nine. I'll give Exiles an eight. I will give Thor's a tough one. Because it's give Jason it Aaron. Point. It's Jason Aaron. I like I like the, the writing. Point. That, was a, that was a point pun. A point joke. i got to give it like a... Uh, 7.5. Because I just All don't right. like the art. Do you want to tell us who's on the last page of that Thor book? Do we want to? Yes. Oh yeah, here's, here's, here's a big spoiler, people. Cool but character. All, you know, you remember when a few months ago when the Cosmic Ghost Rider was revealed to be Frank Castle and how that's cool and he's getting his own series. The end of this, old Thor is faced off against uh, Cosmic Phoenix possessed old man, really old man Logan, really old old man Logan. Do you think it's because Logan made out with Phoenix? Hmm. I like that idea. Then why isn't it Scott Summers, smart guy? I don't know. Why isn't it? That's true. Whoa. Because Emma put You just a... <laughs> put me as the voice in your head that you didn't want to be your voice. No, it's fine. I, I don't think <laughs> Don't that's make what... me that guy. It, I don't see any... It doesn't look like anything to me. Oh, I know I shouldn't. I know I shouldn't go there, but of course this raises <laughs> the question of, of Phoenix secretions. God, does it? Though? Damn it. it hey, does. Mr. Miracle number six, no secretions here. Do you guys know what the temperature inside of a Tauntaun is? Uh, lukewarm oh god oh god alright let's cut to a book that had a very good nude scene of Scott Free Mr. Miracle and Big Bart and Scott peeing you got to see both their butts in this book yeah. um, and the gosh. other dude spitting is anybody getting tired of the nine panel grid because no, I'm not nope. yeah nope, not <laughs> like, at all no. um, it's amazing how this book is like comes out monthly and that feels perfect and the art is perfect and the the time between issues makes me want it and never tire of it it's uh it's a you know it's a perfect book hard to have new things to say nine issues in and I'm sorry if you're bored of hearing us talk about it but it really is uh, they're going to win awards for this. This is an amazing book. It's 180 panels or more every single month. And think, like, wow. he, he said at some point, like, how long it takes him to do one of those panels. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I forget. Um, <laughs> this whole issue is basically the peace negotiations between Big Barda and Mr. Miracle with Calabac, Darkseid's son, on Apocalypse. And, you know, it just cuts like day one, day two, day four. And um, Yeah, it's just a week of negotiations at the table with all sorts of uh, interesting asides. All sorts of interesting asides and world building, like, they don't ever mention it. But, yeah, the table they're sitting at is resting on the backs of a bunch of, you know, like, horrible, violent, persecuted slaves underneath it who are all chained up. And it's But but they do mention it when Calabac pulls one out from under the table oh, right. and smashes him against the wall because he's pissed. Yeah. Because they won't give him... Uh, God, what is it that they won't give him? It's something really boring. It's just some... Uh, peace, part of the peace negotiations. They won't give him some concession. What is preposterous is any agreement on prisoner exchange without the rules set forth by the commission. Yeah. It's a lot of that and, and very interesting somehow. And I love the argument of like, is it NG calendar or AO? And you're just like, <laughs> new gods or after Orion or what? Like, <laughs> okay. Um, oh, that, that's okay. Maybe. I and yeah, and Calabac can't take it out on, on Scott Free because they're peace negotiations. So, so he violently murders a slave to just show how pissed he is. And when he gets really, really angry and screams, the image does the distorted figure that it does, but it's a Kirby drawing. It's definitely a Kirby yeah. drawing. Like that was awesome. And yeah. that was so awesome. So many moments of awesome. I mean, just early on in the no- negotiations, um, I think that's Canto is the guy with the feathered hat, I think. He takes Scott. Scott has to use the bathroom, so Canto takes him because they're in someplace on Apocalypse and they take it. He needs a guide so he doesn't go down to some, take a wrong turn into madness or something. And they go to the bathroom, and they're having a, such a commonplace pedestrian discussion. And the bathroom is just one of these great big open pits. It looks like the, the pit that King Leonidas kicks the guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I didn't realize at first, in this nine-panel grid on that page, when they're standing there at the edge, Canto's spits, and you follow the, the spit blob Falling down and down pages. and down for two pages as he's telling the story to Scott, um, that, which is a great anecdote. It's 16 panels of spit. <laughs> 16 panels This is of right spit. up my secretion mm-hmm. alley. <laughs> and the color changes the deeper it goes because it's, it's occurs further from the light. And at the bottom, it hits, I, I think that's Mark Moonrider from the Forever People. Sure, that's why we keep there. him around. <laughs> well, early, the raw sex appeal. Well, yeah, earlier we saw, well, thank you. Earlier we saw um, Big Bear's head on a pike. Also from Forever People. They passed that on the way to the bathroom. Oh, yeah, he's on the cover. But just all the information going on there and the anecdote he tells, which later on we find out he just made that up because he needed something to talk about while they're walking to the bathroom. (laughs) There's the scene of at one point they give, like to get under his skin, Calabac gives Scott the mirror uh, of Granny Goodnesses who they killed but they were raised by. And he opens it up, and through this whole, like, silent page of nine panels, he's standing there looking at himself in this mirror, but it's showing him the reflection of how he looked and he was young looking in this mirror with the torture and the burning that Granny Goodness would make them, you know, undergo. And he just starts to cry, and then Barda shows up behind him looking burnt and damaged like him, and she just, like, holds him as he, like, weeps in her arms. And, like, no words, just nine images, and it is so perfectly told and poignant. This is... Um, it's so masterful between this book and the Batman, Catwoman, Batman stuff. Like, I don't, I haven't read better romantic relationship stuff in a comic book, like ever. I, I don't think it's some. He writes my favorite relationship dynamics that I've ever read. 
And then it's worth mentioning. So like Dark Dark Side has been this foreboding, overshadowing thing this whole series, nine issues. We still have not seen him in here. We get an outline of his face in this. Um, but during the peace negotiations, negotiations, uh, what Calabac and the Dark Side Apocalypse folks say is they'll give basically everything that Scott and Bardo want to them if they give him and Darkseid their child that they had in issue six or seven. Um, Darkseid's grandson. And uh, that is a crazy bargaining chip. Yeah. You know what they say. Darkseid is. They do say that. Or at least Darkseid says that. Or Tom says that. Is this the first time we've seen him? Yep. Wow. That's that's some early setup. And those four panels of seeing him are so foreboding and well done. Like it's alternated and he's his you know, he the amount of light on him is not like it's getting more clear, like then it, it gets clearer and it gets get darker and it comes back. It's just yeah. It's terrifying. I don't know if that's also it is. And I I wonder if it's also serves as a nod to like Darkseid's first appearance, which was just on a video screen at the back of whatever comic book that was. That's, Jimmy, Jimmy Olsen. Yeah, that's base. That's technically uh, Iron his Man first 55. appearance. No, that's Thanos. That's Thanos. Same guy. Uh, same creator. Oh right. Is it Batman? Yeah. Right. Kirby Starling? created him. Oh, you're right. Yeah, Starling created. Oh right, Thanos. He, and Kirby created Darkseid to look like Thanos. No. Hey man, Darkseid <laughs> Dark came was before first. Thanos. We got to put that out there. I don't know what's real anymore. Kirby is the only thing that is real. Dark side <laughs> is. Dark side is. You're right. Dark Your brow is. is very dark you know, side you know, out. I realized one thing now looking at this again. The one thing in this that didn't occur to me before, and I'm, I'm sorry, this does have to do with secretions. But God damn it. The, 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 well, but, so but look, look this, 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 this toilet they use, this toilet pit that's also a prison pit. I mean, yeah, they, they pee off it, but. If you have to take a crap, I mean, there's nothing to hang on to. How do, you, do you, how do you balance on the edge and successfully do that? That's what just occurred to you? That just occurred to me, yeah. What about this beautiful scene with <laughs> Barda and Scott and Barda's trying to get him to get into the lake of fire? Or like Calabac's no, yeah, that's, that's sunglasses amazing or like scene. little reading glasses. And yeah, I love Calabac's little little reading glasses. I, gave it a I saw those and I thought, that, oh, the Calabac's got ten, sunglasses. Ten, yeah. Ten. Apocalyptic sunglasses. Ten. I yeah. gave it ten. Oh, yeah. Ten, ten definitely. Yeah. Until, until just, until we... Read it, reread it and discussed it just now. <laughs> I I would have probably ranked it number three in my Mister Miracles. Mm. I don't know where I've put the other two, but uh, this is a ten, so they got to go up to ten also. Yeah, I mean this is definitely top three issues for me. Deal of with the that on your spreadsheet, Phil. 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 <laughs> Phil. Did you give it a ten too, Romy? I also gave it a ten. Yeah. Which one's your favorite covers, guys? There's there's the one covers? of uh, definitely the Garrett's ones. Those God. are generally my favorite. Yeah. Is that I, these? I like them both. I mean, I love the variant with Mr. Miracle strapped to the big peace symbol. Cause, the cause the Nick Darrington is great, too, though. But I love that because, yeah, the look on Mr. Miracle's faces, face when yeah. he's trying just trying to shake Calabac's hand and Calabac's having none of that. There are certain things that you have to just allow in this series, and one of them is Mr. Miracle being completely expressive and emotive through his mask. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's great. Yeah. It, I'm, I'm so glad that that's something that they, they let happen. So three weeks out, uh, we're all getting ready for it. That's all I can think about day and night. Captain America number one by ta Coates. Right. And the suit I'm going to wear to the wedding. The Batman wedding. Uh, that Batman wedding. Hey, are we doing a midnight release? Yeah. Are we going to wear suits? We got to. 
All right. Hey, everybody's invited to that. Everyone is invited. Um, all the Marvel and DC books will be on sale Wait, at midnight, bat, bat July 3rd. Tuxes? Tuxes. Tuxes, Natch. The wedding, come on. Oh, oh sorry. I didn't mean to say Natch in reference to a DC thing. That's a Marvel thing. But is he getting married in the bat suit? Oh, yeah, it's Batman and Catwoman. Batman and Catwoman are the ones getting married. Yeah. Um, How is that legal? Thanks to Nick Waite for letting us use his music for the intro and outro music of our podcast. We really appreciate that. You are fantastic, and so is your music. I think it's important to note that podcasts live and die by stars. Mm. Whether it's five stars... Or five stars. Or one star is how they die. But it's also important. No stars is how they really die. That's they true. die like Uncle Ben with oh. no stars. So I've, I've never rated our podcast, Django. God how, how damn would I, it, how, Roman. How would I do that? Oh, give me your phone. <laughs> I think he's asking for an instruction for the listeners. Oh, I, I for the am. listeners. That was supposed to be a oh, jeez. I was trying to well, help you. Uh, give me your phone because I don't remember. Oh. You just you you you, sc- oh, you look at the podcast and you scroll up and you find the stars and uh, and then I can't use this little tiny weird phone you have. We're going to <laughs> iTunes, but it should be I mean, if you're looking at the podcast. If you look at sort of you click the podcast and you have the list of the episodes. If you scroll down, there should be a number of stars. Or you can go on to uh, the Facebook page and like that. Um, or write us a review. You could write us a review anywhere. Just write a Word document and email it to the internet. Tell your mother about our podcast, but yeah. tell her not to listen. Yeah. Yeah, my mom doesn't listen. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, we actually had some awesome people come in today who had just started – sorry, this week and who had just started listening to the podcast. Uh, Mr. Stambeck bought Grass Kings Volume oh, yeah. 1 based on our glowing recommendations for it. So That's a smart – move it is and the second hardcover came out today um but we really appreciate all the listeners and all the support we've gotten from you guys you're all wonderful and you're uh one of the reasons that we keep doing this it's been really awesome to sort of grow a family through it so thank you um yeah write a review give a call write an email uh info at the comics place subject podcast and then whatever you want to say would be great um, or you can call us at 1-619-663-7336 and leave a voicemail. Or, like Django suggests, which is the greatest way, open up your phone, record a voice memo, and then email it to us as an attachment, and that way we can play it. Um, that's all I've got. Django, what do you think? I think that's uh, that's probably that's probably about it. That's probably about it. Probably, Rowan, what are you excited uh, about? You're kind of glowing over two. Yeah. I just think about the fact my old OKC profile, my, my profile name before they switched it to you have to use your real name. My old profile name was Plastic Man. That, was, that had a lot of sexual <laughs> overtones. I oh, my God. I didn't mean it to be, but yeah. <laughs> How long did it take you to figure that out? How long did people <laughs> not respond to that? I mean, very like, specific I, people responded yeah, to yeah, it. That's exactly what you're going for. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> oh, God. That's where I met some of my best friends. Uh, I'm Jeff, and I can't wait for Django, and by Django, I mean Braden, to get up here with all that fresh, fresh leaf harvest. I'm Django, and I can't wait for Phil Satile to come on our show and sit in on a whole episode. Oh, Phil. If yeah. he doesn't, I'm going to do it as him. Wait, no, I'm not, because he probably wants to hear that. I will not do an episode as Phil Satile. Phil, come on in, buddy. I'm I'm wrong. I'm confused now. So, are you gonna do that? 
He's not, because then like Phil would love to hear Jenga pretending to be Phil, which is not an incentive for Phil to come on the podcast. Or the Poco, if you like. The Poco. Yeah. Listen, our dog Poconos. Yeah, our dog I'm Raw Daddy. Who's that guy? Me? You. Uh, you know, just a snifter. <laughs> <laughs> just a snifter. <laughs> and that's Roman. We'll see you next week. <laughs>